Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to continue on a thought that we started a couple of weeks ago and talk to you about seven Bible mysteries. And these are all New Testament. Four of them are what we would call in theology Pauline or Pauline. And that is they were mysteries revealed to the Apostle Paul to give to the body of Christ. And they're important truths. They're truths that relate to the gospel. They're truths that relate to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And frankly, they're truths that help us to understand and discern the times that we live in. As we just came through this series talking about a king is coming. And we see it all around us. The signs of the times are certainly everywhere. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So Paul identifies himself as a steward of the mysteries of God. Now Paul uh, was certainly that at another level because God had revealed four important mysteries to him to give to the body of Christ. But the implication is strong here in the context of these chapters that, that, that a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a steward of these mysteries. He's responsible for these truths to communicate these seven great truths. We looked last time at the indwelling Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, simply amazing, simply beyond my understanding that God would dwell inside of me. And you know, I think a lot of Christians give that a certain amount of assent. But, but I'm afraid sometimes that they believe that because it's, you know, it makes me feel good. That's, that's nice. That's great sentiment. But we need to know what the Bible says and why we believe that and what the implications are. And of course, among other things, what we discovered is that we are literally walking holy of holies. You look at the Old Testament, you look at, at, the, at the temple, you look at the holy place and then the, the holiest of holies where, where God met with man and the high priest could only go in once a year with the blood of atonement. And when you stop and think that the Spirit of God lives inside of us, we're called the temples of the Holy Spirit. All the implications surrounding that, both wonderful, both wonderful, awesome, and even in some ways terrifying. Amen? Today, the Lord willing, we're going to look at Christ and the church. We'll look at the blindness of Israel. This is, this is a mystery, according to the New Testament, the blindness of Israel. Uh, the rapture of the church, Paul said, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. How about the deity of Christ? The Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. How about the mystery of iniquity? The Bible says, a mystery of iniquity doth already work. The table is being set for the Antichrist usurping the kingdoms of the earth for a short period of time before Jesus comes back. And then, of course, we touched on mystery Babylon. 
So today, let's take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's look at Christ in the church. Ephesians chapter 5. I'd love to hear the sound of those pages turning. And I, I, and I know some of you are electronic people, and, and I, don't, I don't begrudge you that. I, uh, I wouldn't call myself an electronic guy or a techie by any means. I, I get around okay. I, I do what I have to do. And I know some of you, you, you do your Bible reading with that. Uh, that that's okay. I, I don't have any problem. But uh, I was talking about this a couple years ago and uh, uh, just encouraging you to have a paper Bible with you in church. And you say, why is that? Well, as an encouragement to others. And, and one, of the, one of the things I mentioned is that, you know, when you're on this thing, it's pretty easy to hit a couple of prompts and end up checking out your email. <laughs> okay? It's a lot harder to do in your Bible. Okay? Try getting your email in your Bible sometime. And it was funny, right after the service, I had a husband and wife come up to me, and she's doing this to him, you know, giving him that. And he's smiling, and he goes, Preacher, you're right. He said, the last few weeks I've been cleaning up my emails while you've been preaching. <laughs> I don't know if she forced him up there for a confession or what the deal was. But uh, love to hear the pages turning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, thank you so much for bringing us here together. Thank you for the fact we still have the liberty and freedom to do this. And uh, Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the Spirit of God. We thank you, Lord, for these songs, the time of fellowship, the opportunity to give and just worship you and give you what you greatly deserve, and that is glory. Lord, we just pray that everything that's done and said here going forward, you'd help me to discern those things that are necessary and to uh, pass by on the other side with the things that will not edify, Lord. Help us now, as only you can, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How can I be part of him and still be me? How can my wife and I be one flesh and still be individuals? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. If you've been saved here this morning, your dead spirit has been regenerated and you've been born again by the Spirit. And it is as if there were a spiritual umbilical cord between you and the Lord because he that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As far as God sees us, we're already there. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. Um, I'm going to be putting an article out in this next pastor's corner talking about our focus. I want to preach a message on that. And folks, look, I'm a patriotic guy. You cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue and all that. 
and uh, I'm hoping for a red wave uh, in November, and I'm, I'm hoping for a new president in two years. I'm not going to make any bones about it, and I don't care about the Johnson Amendment. <laughs> Johnson Amendment was designed to shut the mouths of conservative people and give liberals a platform, unimpeded. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If there is no red wave in November, and we're still stuck with the same president, and I will pray for him, that's what the Bible says I have to do, God didn't fail. Our marching orders are the same. Look, I love my country, but my citizenship that trumps, no pun intended, this citizenship is the one in heaven. And, and it's a fine line sometimes. Look, and, and I'm going to end up on this article here for you, so just bear with me for a couple minutes. But you know, there's believers, they're, they're, they're so spiritual, they believe any patriotism and even voting is a sin. Well, I think that's silly. Ask a Christian in communist China if they'd like to be able to vote. Ask a Christian in communist China if they'd like to be able to meet and not be afraid of being thrown in prison for meeting. I get a kick out of these really brave Christians that want America to go to the dogs. They need to stop and think about something. They live here too. <laughs> We're not exempt from what would happen to this country if God finally gave it what it deserved. And so I pray again and again for mercy. I pray again and again for mercy. Because what we deserve as a country is judgment. And since nations don't go into eternity, God has to judge nations in time. And it's only God's mercy that he hasn't turned the cup over on us. So there's that side of the equation. But, but look, folks, if we're not careful, we can get so wrapped up in this citizenship we have here, which is a wonderful and unique thing where we can be involved in the process and yes, participate, do everything you can and, and pray for men like Brother Fulcher. Christians that are out there trying to make a difference against incredible odds. You understand what I'm saying? But remember something, remember something. In the end, in the end, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And our marching orders don't change no matter what happens down here. And I hope my grandchildren can see something of the America I grew up in. I, I hope if the Lord tarries, and I don't believe he will much longer, but I believe if Christ tarries, I'd sure like to see the church have the liberty and freedom that it has now. But if it doesn't, that doesn't mean that the Bible failed. That doesn't mean that anything went wrong in God's program. And that doesn't mean that our marching orders have changed. The Great Commission, folks, are you listening? Is still the most important message that we have as believers. Okay? Now I'm going to commit blasphemy in some of your minds. The message of conservative patriotism does not supplant the gospel one bit. So keep your focus on Jesus Christ in the middle of all of this. 
Because there are ups and there are downs, and there's going to be all kinds of disappointments. But remember something. You are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And your citizenship is in heaven. This is a mystery. And if we're faithful stewards, just think of how important all of this is. When I think of the, the, uh, the wedding ceremony, and I've, a couple of my uh, secretaries helped me out with this. I think I've done a little bit over 200 of them. And I still get nervous. I still get nervous. I, I don't care if it's a big wedding, little wedding, whatever kind of wedding it is. It's some little girl's big day. Right, preacher? <laughs> and the last thing I want to do is mess up some girl's big day. So I still get, I still get nervous. I, I still want to make sure I get it right. And I was thinking about these vows this week. I was thinking of these vows. And, and when you think of these vows, you can't help but be drawn back to Ephesians 5. The husband or the, the groom and the bride and, and Christ in the church. That's what it's all about, folks. This sacred relationship of marriage represents something that's far greater and even more sacred. So I wonder sometimes, Christians included, if we didn't look at it that way more, if there wouldn't be less divorce in our country. Huh? I mean, would Christ in the church divorce? Would Jesus give the church a writing of divorcement? By the grace of God, wilt thou have this man to thy wedded husband? To live together after God's ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony. Wilt thou obey and serve him? Yes, we leave that in there. One, one sort of liberated bride told me one time, she said, well, that'd be fine as long as he has to say that too. <laughs> Love, honor, and keep him in sickness and in health. And forsaking all others, keep thee only unto him, so long as you both shall live. How about this? I, groom, take thee bride, I won't put any names in there, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, in this I pledge thee my vow. Where did all that come from? You think secularists put all that together? Huh? Secularists put all that together, thought that was a great idea, great entertainment. The ring ceremony is a pledge and in token of my love and commitment to you with this ring I thee wed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Trinity is in there. For as much as groom and bride have consented together in holy wedlock, holy, how many times that's in the vows, again and again and again. And have witnessed the same before God and this company have given and pledged their vows, each for the other and both for the Lord, and have declared the same by giving and receiving a ring and by joining hands. I pronounce that they are man and wife in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There's the Trinity again. Now watch this, the exact words of Jesus. Those whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. You know why all of that? 
it's so that we can give a wedding a religious flavor? No. Because it portrays what you just read in Ephesians 5. Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Spend some time thinking about it, Christian. Sir, you're in the place of Christ. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for you. Aren't you glad it doesn't say as much as Christ loved the church? Because that would be mission impossible. But our love for our wives needs to be as Christ loved the church. A, a love that gives ourselves away, sacrifices for them, and is willing to die for them. The way Jesus did for us. That puts things in a different light, doesn't it? And that better and worse thing, that better and worse thing, well, we like the better part. But how many times do we come up with stipulations as to how worse it could get? Like one frustrated bride said one time, he's not going to get any better, so I take him as he is. For richer, for poorer. When we have the rehearsal, I'll usually throw in there just for comic relief. We'll go richer for poorer, and they'll say richer for poorer, and then I'll say probably poorer. <laughs> but do we have a regulator on that? You know, poorer, but just not any poorer than a certain line. Worse, but not any worse than a certain barrier I've thrown up. And yet Christ would never give the church a writing of divorcement. This is a great mystery, Paul said, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Ma'am, ma'am, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Uh, that's one of those airtight, no qualifiers, as unto the Lord. And I know that's a tough one. Because the Lord's perfect, and we husbands are not, in case you didn't know that. But God doesn't put anything in there to say, well, you know what, and draws any lines. Even, even as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. I got to say it. Sometimes I'll be sitting in the house. I'll watch, I'll watch Carol in the kitchen doing stuff, and I'll just sit there in amazement. And we've been married almost 50 years now. And I'll think, where did she come from? Where did I get her? She is as submitted and godly of a Christian lady as you'll ever meet. But she was raised by the original feminist. She'll tell you that. You know what that is? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in her heart. And I think of her submitting to me. Because I know who I am. 
You know what that does to me, lady? And you know what that'll do to your, your husband? It makes me want to submit all the more to Jesus Christ. She's got somebody imperfect to submit to. I got somebody perfect to submit to. Well, I really have no excuse. In so many ways, I would have to say she's a better Christian than I am. You say, where does all this come from? All of this comes from this portion of Scripture right here. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So Christ ministers to the church. We are the church militant. Someday we will be the church triumphant. Someday we will be without spot or blemish. So husband, you know what you're supposed to be doing right now? Ministering God's word to her. Bringing her along. Bringing her along. So I don't like my wife. Well, if you've been married any length of time, congratulate yourself. She might just be responding to you. See, where does all this come from? Right here. Where do these vows come from? Right here. Where do these traditions that we have uh, that are, are, are woven into the fabric of our society and then woven also in uh, through the scripture, they come from the word of God. They come from this mystery, Christ and the church. Next one. And we won't get all the way through this one today, but let's go to Romans chapter 11. I just want to touch on this one. The third mystery is the mystery of the blindness of Israel. The blindness of Israel. Paul starts out this chapter, and he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, let's fast forward all the way to verse 25, because we're not going to have the time to cover this this morning, but I want to just... I want to get you thinking in that direction a little bit. Verse 25, he said, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Now notice that Paul is, is writing to Gentile believers and tells them not to be wise in their own conceits. What does he mean by that? Well, he says this, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. That's Revelation 19. We looked at that this past week. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. <clears throat> so Israel is still in God's plans, folks. Israel is still in God's plans. The church has not replaced Israel. We... Gentile believers have not supplanted the nation of Israel in God's plans. Now, we already saw the body of Christ. We all already saw Jew and Gentile in one body. And we're equal in Christ. Save Jews, save Gentiles in one body. But as a nation, God still has a plan for them. And the church has not supplanted them. That would be this conceit 
that would be this arrogance that Paul speaks of. The idea that there is no millennial reign of Christ. There is no restoration of Israel. The, or, the, or even crazier yet, the church will bring in the kingdom and make the world a better place to live, and so Jesus will just have to come down and claim it. Not going to happen. This thing's going to get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And, and we see the tuning up of the orchestra. And we see the signs of the times. And, and we still see Israel out there seemingly by themselves. A tiny little nation surrounded by its enemies that want to annihilate it. And God miraculously has allowed them to survive even in their backslidden condition. Even though they're far away from him. Why? Because he made some promises to a very old man a very long time ago, and he intends to keep those promises. He said, I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. And their blindness is a remarkable thing. I've read articles, I've seen interviews with lost Jewish people who are suspicious of Christians and suspicious of Christian organizations that would, are you ready for this? Dare to help Israel. They just don't get it. They don't get it until they turn to Jesus Christ. Until they become what they often call themselves completed Jews and receive Jesus Christ not just nationally as a Messiah or a king, but individually as a Savior. Then their eyes are opened. But let me just close with this thought. Let me just close with this thought. And we'll talk about this next week. The Bible in Matthew chapter 25 talks about talking about Jesus Christ and he'll be judging from a throne on this earth after the tribulation period, the beginning of the millennium, and he'll be sorting out the sheep from the goats. And within that sheep and goats analogy is a representation of nations. And just as during the Second World War, uh, individuals like Corrie ten Boom and her family and, and others in Germany that uh, took pity upon and had mercy upon the Jews during their time of great persecution, so it will be during the tribulation period. Now, let me just throw out a little hope to you here about our country. Why don't we pray that God makes America a sheep nation? Under this current administration, we got a problem here, don't we? But under other administrations, particularly the last one, and who knows? You know, I look at our country, and I, I, I look at the blood that has been shed with abortion, and, and, and God certainly owes us judgment for that. That blood cries out. When I look at our country and I, I see some of its policies and I see the direction we're going in so many different ways, you ask yourself the question, you know, how could we keep on going? 
Well, I'll tell you one way, if God sent a revival, starting with his people, that'd be one way. But absent that, kingdoms have risen and fallen based on their treatment of what the Bible calls the apple of God the Father's eye, and that is the nation of Israel. I think of Abraham bartering with God about Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of Lot and his family and getting down to 10 righteous. Ten right, if God could have found 10 righteous, he would have spared that city or those twin cities, if you will. Well, I wonder how many God has to find in our country to spare it. You say, what can I do to help save America? Live a good Christian life. Walk with Jesus Christ. Be a soul winner. Pray. And maybe, just maybe, there'll be enough of those that God finds and says, all right, I'll withhold my judgment a little bit longer. See, we don't have to be the majority. And by the way, how many of you understand we're not? Okay? But we don't have to be. God has always had a remnant. And God will do some amazing things because of that remnant. But I often think about it. I often think about it. What if, what, what if our country would just stand by Israel, even if it means we have to stand alone by Israel? I think God might take notice of that. I think God might just pay attention to that. And I believe it's possible God might just spare our country because of that. You think of kingdoms that have, that have mistreated. You think of countries that have mistreated uh, Jews. And we'll save this for next week. But God said, I will bless them that bless thee. And I'll curse them that curse thee. And you say, well, I just, you know, I, I, I don't see the blessings. Well, I'll tell you something right now. If it wasn't for God's blessings on our country, even to this day, in spite of the fact we don't deserve it, things would be a lot worse than they are now. I know about inflation, and I know about all the other craziness that goes on, but I think Dr. Sam Giff had a good point one time. He said, God's not judging a nation when you still have a Super Bowl. <laughs> okay? <laughs> when you still have the Super Bowl, God hasn't started judging a nation yet. And so, let's stay down on our knees, folks. Amen? And let's be faithful to Jesus Christ. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And God still loves the nation of Israel. As blind as they are, as blind as they are, he intends to restore them someday. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our leaders. Thank God for somebody like Brother Russ Fulcher, who's over there in Washington, D.C., slugging it out with them. Bible-believing Christian that believes we ought to take a, a positive approach to Israel and stand with them against their enemies. Who knows? Who knows? But that for things like that, God is withholding his judgment in our country. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these mysteries. 
We thank you for the indwelling Jesus Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, may we walk this week with a consciousness of his presence in our lives. Father, Christ in the church, husband and wife, groom and bride, what a wonderful mystery, what a, what a sacred thing. And Lord, as we look at our own, our own marriages, uh, Father, may we be struck with the importance of this and the blessedness of this, Lord, and what you've given us in the design and the design of marriage and the family, Lord. Father, this morning we realize our country's in trouble. Things are happening, Lord, that are just unprecedented. We have no southern border. Inflation has run away. Morals, they are in a complete free fall, Father. And spirituality, it seems the lights are going out all over the place. But Father, you've always had a remnant. You've always had a remnant. Even in the days of Noah, when you were going to take, take the whole world out with water, Lord, there were still eight. Lord, help us to be part of that remnant this morning. Lord, you were willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah for ten. We don't know what the number is in our country, but help us to be part of that remnant that when you look at this country, you see some lights and Lord, may we let your light shine through us today. Father, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we do pray for the soon return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And until that time comes, Lord, help us to be faithful witnesses for you. And walk a Christian walk that makes a difference. And we realize, Lord, that the darker it gets, the more that our little lights will shine, the more they'll mean and the more of a difference they can make, potentially, Father. Help us, Lord, not to be discouraged in these days, but to be encouraged at the opportunity that's before us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 399. Number 399, I have decided to follow Jesus. 399 on the first. I have decided to follow Jesus. Turning back. 
one more time on the first. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Dr. Treber, could I get you to come up and close us in a word of prayer? Thank you. I really appreciate him being willing to do this and preach tonight. I don't know if you're on a vacation or something, but I know that I, I do that. I'm on vacation. Somebody asked me to preach. and So you're working on your vacation, right? <laughs> Thank you, doctor. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so very grateful for the New Testament church. We realize that this is not a casual institution, but rather our Lord gave his life for the church. We thank you for what we've heard in the Word of God today. We thank you that in the church there's a pastor, a shepherd, a man of God who prayed and studied to give us something today. I thank you for the people of God. I thank you for their attentive spirit to the Word of God. I pray that today we would take what we've heard and apply it to our life, to our homes, to our area of ministry, to our jobs. And may we lift the name of Christ. I thank you for these great people or the great heritage of this wonderful place. And I pray that God, you'd bring us back tonight safely by your grace, assembled together to lift the name of Christ. We praise you and we thank you for this wonderful morning. In Jesus' name, amen.